Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development and software testing. In today's episode, we talk with Kelly Paredes and Sean Tibor. They teach Python in middle school in Florida, and they also talk about this experience on their podcast, Teaching Python. I like the podcast a lot, and I love that they include physical computing right from the start in their teaching curriculum and really everything else they're doing. This is a fun interview, and I hope you get a lot out of it. Thank you to PyCharm for sponsoring this episode. Today on Test and Code, we have um, Sean and Kelly from Teaching Python Podcast. Welcome, both of you. Thank you for having us. How long have you been doing the podcast so far? We have uh, 12, 13 episodes recorded. I think we started... When did we start? August? September? No, our first episode was published December 5th. December 5th, yeah. Okay. Well, welcome to the world of podcasting. Thank you. You teach software or computer science at a grade school level, is that correct? Yeah, so we teach at a private school that's PK to 12, uh, pre-K to 12, and we teach in the middle school. I teach 7th grade and Sean teaches... Six and eight. Yeah. Okay. So six, seventh, and eighth graders. So, what are the ages again for all the non-parents out there? Ranges from probably eleven to fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Do you have other classes you're teaching too, or are you just computer science teachers? So we, in addition to teaching our computer science, also teach with other teachers. So we are both educational technology specialists, which means that we work with the other teachers in our middle school to help them integrate technology into their lesson plans and learning. So, for example, we've done things with our English teachers around how to use AI in reading and writing and interpreting technology. And we've also worked with our science teachers and pretty closely around things like physics models and gathering data and analyzing that data. We actually did a really cool unit just a couple of weeks ago around simulating genetic organisms and how genetic traits are passed from generation to generation. So we've done all that using Python and a lot of data science work in a way that makes sense for middle school students. Yeah, and then my role is a little bit more boring. I do a lot of other things besides just the Python. We, I drag Sean out of classroom a lot, and we do the fun things together. But I do you know, subscriptions and all troubleshooting and everything else that's technology-related for the teachers. So pretty much teacher training at a basic level with an addition to Python and computer science. And then we also do robotics. So we kind of do everything. <laughs> we do everything <laughs> related to technology use in the middle school. So robotics, is that a class or is that like an after-school activity? or? A- it's a class, but it's kind of an elected class. So we have four teams for the Legos, Lego Leagues. Yeah. Okay. And- so it's the first robotics Lego League. Have you ever heard of that? It's a pretty cool program where our students build Lego robots that compete in games, but they also create projects that solve real-world problems and compete against other teams around the area, the state, and the country. And we have two two teams going to regionals next weekend, so we've made it through the first round, should they say. So we have uh, two kids that are going into regionals, and one of our groups are actually looking at forming an AI robo dog for the astronauts. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So they're at the, at the basic level where it senses and maybe it barks, you know, using um, breadboard. I think they're using Raspberry Pi. No, they're using a circuit playground. Circuit playground. Okay. 
I think it's so cool that you're, I mean, I listened to a lot of your episodes and it sounds like you integrate, integrate stuff like the Raspberry Pi or the Circuit Python, those Adafruit boards with teaching early on. I think that it's kind of a cool thing to involve um, physical interaction with the world, not just building web pages or something. Yeah. We try to do everything we can. We only have our students for nine weeks. So we, we throw as much as they can take. Is it a requirement for everybody or is it is it elective? Our class is a current requirement and they do it in quarters, so nine weeks. Okay. And all sixth, seventh, and eighth. In fact, all of our kids at, at our school have computer science in their program starting at PK. My son does computer programming with a ed tech specialist in class as well. So they do little block codes with the iPads and codable and things like that. He was telling you the other day that he was debugging, right? Yeah, he was debugging. So they learn more of the computational thinking at the lower level, and we get them. So they've had the computational thinking, they've had block kind of programs, they've used Scratch, and we get them and we we introduce them to Python this year. So This is a private school. I went up through the uh, public school system, and my kids are in the public school system as well. Is there like a, a test... Is your school district have curriculum require you to have a certain curriculum? Is there like a teach to the test kind of thing going on? Or no. not at our levels? I mean, really, at the private school areas of our state, at least, there's a lot of latitude given to the private schools to be able to incorporate a lot of different curriculum into their model. So, you know, as Kelly mentioned, our school chose about three and a half, four years ago to make computer science a fundamental part of our education from at every grade level. Now, in the public school sector, it really depends more on a school district by school district basis and state by state basis. So there are requirements in each state for teaching, but there are also some international standards that are created through professional bodies that you know, create here are the different standards or the different things that students should be learning at every grade level to put them on a path towards literacy in computer science. Yeah. So, for example, most states have state standards, and that's probably what you're used to in your school is is a set of state-mandated standards or government standards. Some schools have even the the governmental standards. In an international or independent school, you're governed by independent bodies. So we have an accreditation committee that makes sure that we're on top of our standards. But what Sean's talking about, we also follow ISTE. ISTE standards. So ISTE is the international, I forgot what ISTE stands for. I'm sorry. International Society of Technology Technology. Educators. There you go. Okay. And and so we do a lot of stuff with them following their standards, I should say, and taking a lot of their courses. And most private schools usually follow ISTE standards. So they're technology focused. Okay. It kind of hurts my head to think about because it (laughs) seems like it seems like the field is moving so fast that as soon as you standardize anything, it'd be out of date. Yeah, um, but, but ISTE's done really well at standardizing it because they're very vague. Okay, so, be good citizens online and use the proper technologies to communicate. So that's I think that's why a lot of people like their standards because they are focused around the emerging technologies. And Sean and I both took a course already in AI with ISTE, and it was it was a really great course. I think with a lot of resources. Okay. The other thing that I would add to that is that I think most of the schools and most of the governing bodies are really not necessarily looking to get students to become proficient in a specific language or a specific set of 
technology skills or libraries or anything like that. What they're looking for is to get them to develop the foundational skills that can help those students learn new languages, learn new libraries, a way of thinking. It's another tool in your toolbox for how to solve problems when it's done right. Yeah. I mean, I've I've always been thinking about how there's a lot of science classes, science and math classes when I was growing up that were like we used um, chemistry is often used as a problem solving vehicle. And then things like uh, geometry is where we did like uh, logical thinking and proof systems. And it seems like that those sorts of lessons might be easier to teach in a programming environment. That's one of our venues. Like we like to get in with uh, the science teachers and Sean likes to launch and put a lot of uh, data collectors in the rockets and play with a lot of opportunities just to show the science teachers how we can incorporate the two sciences together. So it's kind of fun. Thank you to PyCharm for sponsoring this episode. I can't remember file names and directory structures very well, but I don't have to. I use PyCharm's navigation features to jump anywhere in the code I want to go. Jump directly to any class, file, symbol by hitting a keyboard shortcut and just starting to type some of the characters. When you want to jump back to where you are, there's a keyboard shortcut for that too. There's a navigate menu. Use it to see all the navigation options and then learn the keyboard shortcuts for the navigation mode you usually use. For me, I usually just hit shift shift. It opens a find anything window where it searches for anything in your project. That's usually enough, but the file symbol and class options are right there in the dialog if I need to narrow the search. Hit shift shift again, and the search includes non-project items like support libraries I'm using. Seriously, when someone's with you, try it. Hit shift shift and start typing some characters from a function you're looking for. Stop typing when you see the code you're looking for and use the arrow keys to highlight the right place then enter to jump there. The person will say to you, whoa, how did you do that? And insist that you stop and teach them this superpower. And if they don't, using the keyboard shortcut to jump back to where you were will certainly do the trick. Try this out yourself by going to testingcode.com slash PyCharm. That link will give you four months to try out PyCharm Pro. I would encourage everybody that's involved with teaching to, to listen to your podcast I listen to it because I want to pay attention to what Python podcasts are out there, of course. But also, I think it's the way you approach it, it seems relevant to anybody that's trying to teach any sort of technology skill to other people. It doesn't seem like it's a, it's specific to young kids because, um, I mean, I don't think you teach an 11-year-old that much different than you teach a grown-up. Are you teaching programming to uh, the other teachers, or is that something Sean's just teaching programming to me so (laughs) so the funny thing is we're mentors for each other and I think that's how our podcast came about I'm his mentor because Sean's a new teacher he's not a you tell you can say (laughs) he's a marketer and he came into the field because he's just got a phenomenal brain when he came in and we just loved what he did with the kids and how much knowledge he had and I've been teaching for 20 years and I love everything to do with curriculum so he mentors me and teaches and picks on me when I make all the mistakes. And I do the same to him when he makes the no mistakes in teaching, though. <laughs> Sean, you came from marketing? My education is actually information systems. I got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree in information systems a long time ago and went into the field of IT. I was a program manager, a systems manager. I ran projects, developed 
chemical inventory databases and marketing systems and things like that and <laughs> really got into the wave that was happening in digital marketing right about the mid-2000s and transitioned over to be a digital marketing manager. I worked for Procter & Gamble for nearly 10 years and really throughout my career have loved using technology to solve problems. And so I've always written a little bit of code here and there. I've always been kind of a technology-focused business person. And about a year ago, I had the opportunity to interview at Pinecrest because, the school that I'm at now, because I really saw how pervasive technology is becoming and the world that you know my children are growing up in, the world that these students are growing up in, there's more and more technology every day. And one of the best things I can do to kind of pay it forward and help the next generation is to set them up with real practical strategies and skills for coping with this new world that they're living in. And if I can find a few students that really get into it and go further and take it to a very high level, that's great. And I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited about just kind of your average student being more code literate, being more technology literate, and being able to thrive in the world that's that's coming in the next 15 to 20 years. And yeah. pretty much just find a use for it, right? The kids yeah. that kids that don't really like coding, I think that's something we both do is just we try to get those kids just to realize that you don't have to know how to code, but you really need to realize that these things are in your back pocket, in your backpack, in your houses, and you need to understand that what the implications are and how it's going to change the world. So it's one of our focus. That's cool. So do you know if any of your students or your students' parents listen to the podcast? I don't know. I don't think any. I mean, I have maybe about two parents that follow me on Twitter, but our school's just now starting to retweet us a lot. <laughs> it's funny because we kind of did this without... Not without them knowing. We told them we were going to do this, but we were just like, we're not going to promote this yet. We don't want to embarrass anyone because <laughs> we just like talking a lot. So that's, I think that's how it came about. And so I'm not sure. I know our students don't really listen to us. I think they hear us enough. So what's the reaction been from your um, from the, the school administrators or the people you work with that way? To a person, it's, they've been thrilled. Yeah, They okay. really like seeing us go out and make connections and share our knowledge with others. That's awesome. So it's been a really supportive environment. Yeah, and a couple of the people up above us, they've listened to it. They've even said, wow, you're actually very interesting. <laughs> <We like it." laughs> and just on a side note, even uh, in my former school, I do have people in my former school listening. And uh, one of the board members from my former school, she uses it to for her she has a corporation called Crea Code, and uh, she gives it to her teachers to listen to because they're introducing the MicroPython and Scratch. So it is making its way around with schools. Okay. So it's pretty cool. And I know our lower school teachers listen to us. Well, I have some specific questions about the logistics of this, how this all works. So you're, you're mm -hmm. teaching coding to kids. How do you, what does the homework look like and how do you grade that? We asked for a Tinker, which is an online program, software yeah, a, program, challenge program. Coding education website, I guess, is probably the closest thing to it, but it's designed for K through eight students. So it's pretty engaging for the kinds of students that we're working with. And we've essentially flipped the classroom. So if you think about a traditional classroom, most, you know, most of the classrooms that we're familiar with, you'd go in and you'd listen to the teacher and the teacher would be presenting information to you. They'd be giving you 
the learning and then you would go home and do homework to practice it. And what we've done is actually flip that classroom around where they're doing more of their learning in Tinker and trying it out and practicing it and going at their own pace and, and you know struggling with it a little bit and having a breakthrough. And then they come into the classroom and instead of spending our time you know presenting information to them, we can now start practicing it in the classroom. We can start playing with it. We can start saying, okay, here are these different concepts that you've learned in Tinker. Now, how do we fit those together in the classroom where we're all together and we can learn from each other? We end up being more like guides or coaches through mm-hmm. that process rather than like the traditional teacher presenting at the front of the room. Here's all the information and you know maybe 10% of the kids are actually paying attention. Yeah, and our thoughts on the Tinker is it's kind of like learning Spanish, you know, 10 minutes a night of Tinker uh, to work through it. So most some schools use Tinker as the classroom because most teachers, there's not a lot of teachers that know how to teach Python or teach coding. So they these Tinker and CodeMonkey Island and all these other kid platforms were designed to help educate our, our put curriculum, our computer science into the curriculum. So we kind of use it as a homework thing. It's a completion grade, which means we give them credit for doing it. And we don't have a time constraint. Only the time constraint is nine weeks. So at the end of nine weeks, if you're not done, then you don't get the grade. So we kind of want them to feel that it's okay to take longer because some kids will whip through it and some kids will struggle. So the whole idea that it's a it's a non-challenging, relaxed environment, we want them to understand that it is hard, but we're not going to grade you against how well you can code or not. So do they turn in their work through the Tinker system or something then? Or? Yeah, so that's just for homework. So it is like a whole teacher platform. It's really nice. It has a whole gradebook system. We can see when the kids finish the assignments and we just check it off the, the box. But that's not really our curriculum. That's kind of our supportive system. Okay. And then for the rest of the things, most of the times we just do challenges and projects and and I, we do things a little bit different depending on how we teach. So okay. every teacher has a different approach, but we, we kind of anchor our curriculum around a few solid things, learning the concepts, using Tinker, and doing challenges, mini challenges, or longer challenges. So right. And then wrapping it up with a project, with a project end, so that the they end. have something that helps them integrate their knowledge together, make connections, practice it, make mistakes, learn from them. And that gives us a lot of opportunities as teachers to assess them along the way. It's not a final grade that we present or that we assess them on. It's a series of smaller assessments along the way. And the benefit to that is that it allows us to guide the student towards the outcome that they desire, right? So that they're seeing, oh, you know, I'm, I'm early stages. I'm defining my problem. Or I'm gathering requirements. If we can help them with an assessment at that point that gets them on the right path, that's more valuable to them than getting all the way to the end and realizing that there was a fundamental flaw back in the beginning that they could have corrected, right? So it's kind of like we want to create an iterative process for them rather than like a waterfall grading system along the way. And it's a little bit crazy because we all have a basic bar level and uh, we want them to understand for loops. We want to understand conditionals, lists. You're doing dictionaries and tuples. I kind of avoid them a little bit. We go as far as lists, but we have a basic level, a bar. And all of our kids so far have surpassed the bar. And we were just talking about how our curriculum is going to expand so much next year and where our bars are going to be set because it's going to be different. But it's really nice. It's just, it's amazing how far the kids have gone in their learning in nine weeks. Okay. Now, since I'm kind of a testing kind of guy, I'm curious if uh, testing plays a role in either your grading or automating of the systems 
or in teaching at all? So yes, in a limited fashion. So this being our first year, what we really do instead of a formal testing framework where we are doing test-driven design or we have a lot of automated testing of assignments and everything, we're just, we're not there yet, either the students or the teachers. But what we are doing is starting to get them into this mindset of like intention versus outcome and the gap between the two so that they start to see, well, what did you intend for the code to do? What did you design it to do? What was the actual result? And then what was the difference between the two? So that we're laying the groundwork or the framework for them to start thinking in a, in a way of being able to write those test cases later that fit into that model with, here's what I want it to do. Here's my test case that, that I can run against my code and then be able to start seeing the, the differences between the two. So that even though we're not there yet in the framework, Maybe in a year or two, as these students start to have more Python, we can introduce more of those testing frameworks so that they be, can, you know, we can automate more of the work on our side, but they also start to get used to this idea of testing the code that you write and, in fact, writing your code to be tested. But I, at the end of the quarter, I do have one quiz that's the scary quiz of the, of the quarter <laughs> that I have because I'm just that mean teacher. I think it's like 25 questions, but I don't do an, a test for an assessment. I do tests for learning. So they have the opportunity to take the test as many times as they want up to the time they get 100, and then I take an average of it. And mine, again, is that, is that bottom line bar. And the kids get away, they get out of the test after I've scared them for the whole nine weeks. And I'm like, that was really easy. And I said, I know, I need to make it harder. They're just amazing the, how far the kids have come. And, and I just do the quiz at the end because it, it kind of makes it fun for them to stress them out a little bit. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it's funny also because of the, the terminology of school. Right. So when a programmer thinks about tests for codes, they're thinking about assertions and passing tests or failing them as a metric for how well their code is working. When we say tests to our students, they suddenly have this like panic attack, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they're being, they have a grade and there's a score and they, their parents are going to see it. And so we have to break them of that a little bit. So we talk a lot about intent versus outcome. We don't call it testing. But I can certainly foresee next year and the year after that we start to introduce this code testing so that they start to see how they can use the language and the libraries to evaluate their code and make sure that it meets the criteria that they're designing for. And in the end, you just want them to love the challenge. And that's the test. We want that intrinsic value. So yeah. when, when, when a teacher starts putting a grade of a fail because you couldn't get the the program and we move on, then what good does that do for that child? So we kind of want to build in that problem solving, that desire to, to have a struggle and, you know, all the things that all programmers that, you know, why do you become a programmer? Because you, you do it because you like to challenge yourself to solve problems. And that's what we're trying to get out of the kids. And we want to kind of take away that, Oh, it's an AB thing. We want them to have a passion for learning versus just doing it for the grade. Oh, that's good. I like that idea. I love that. Actually, really love that idea of intent versus outcome. And I've even when I'm trying to teach testing to people, I've been talking about how do you know that it works? And is there a way to automate that? And uh, I like that intent versus outcome a bit more also, because even adults like when for some reason when building something is fun, but writing tests for it is suddenly work instead of fun. I don't have an answer for that, but trying to come up with 
way to do that. It'd be good. How about other stuff? Like there's a lot of stuff around computer science and at junior high level, I'm guessing you probably don't get into a lot of it, but there's, you know, like version control and technical speaking and technical writing and just communication skills. Are those things that other classes are talking about or? Well, we cover actually a lot of that in our classes also. You know, we don't quite get into version control and things like that. They are seeing some of that like because I'll, I'll post things on GitHub and they'll be consumers of that repository or they'll download from there, but they won't necessarily create their own pull requests or, or branches or anything. But in terms of information literacy, that's a big focus for us as well. Getting students to understand how to read technical instructions is a big starting point for us. I think some of the technical writing is done in a very basic level. We have them write, and we have them creating flowcharts to diagram out programs. We have them writing in comments and instructions within their code to be able to just give them the habit of documenting things. But one of the things that we see that's really fascinating, and I didn't realize how much this was happening before I was working with middle school students, is that we're in such a skimming culture when it comes to content. Yeah. I mean, if you think about our students that are 11 to 14 years old, they've pretty much always had some sort of device in their home, whether it was a laptop, a tablet, an iPhone, or whatever. So you've, uh, you've been doing the podcast just for a few months now, a couple months. I think you've been doing teaching. Is it just this first year or have you been doing it longer? This is our first year teaching Python at the school. I was teaching robotics last year. And then before that, I was teaching design thinking. So most of my basis is in problem solving and just looking at the design thinking process. But last year she came and said to me, by the way, we decided to go into physical computing. How do you feel about Python? I was like, no, JavaScript. I think I know a little bit more about JavaScript. She goes, no, we're doing Python. And I'm like, but the kids like JavaScript, <laughs> which I didn't know what I was talking about. And um, then we we brought in Sean, and that's where it went with that. I think we just wanted to bring in the physical computing. We liked how England was using the microbit. It's been a very successful I think implementation with the microbit and the physical computing and the Pi, Raspberry Pi and the Pi Top and all the other things that go with it. Because there's something about the kids being able to code five lines and turn a light, you know, an LED on. And it's a little bit more engaging for the students. My youngest is uh, nine years old. She's in fourth grade. And I haven't taught her programming yet, but I kind of been asking her about some of the ideas and all the stuff that she wants to do is that she'd like to be able to do is a physical sort of thing. She'd like to be able to do the things like turning her lights on and off. She's curious to know if there's some way we can hook up her uh, like window blinds to some software control or something. And I mean, there's no part of her that's saying, I'd like to build a website. She doesn't really care about that right now. So it, it isn't, I like that that physical computing is going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the U.S. And that's how it engages. I think that's those are the two the things that Sean and I really grasp on. So we'll pretty much stop the class and say and talk to that student. Oh, you want to see an Alexa skill? And Sean will get there and say, Well, how about this? And and you want to make this? Okay, we're going to try that. So I think that's one of the things you want. You want that curiosity. Because that's the driving force. Because if there's no reason, there's no problems to solve, then there's no reason for them to code. Okay. So harness it. Harness it. You start getting her, get her into it and uh, sit down with her and start making her shades go up and down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so when, and then when the kids le- 
leave your um, school and they go off to high school, does it build on itself there? And are they doing at least having the possibility of doing more advanced stuff? So we have the high school here and most of our kids go in at the first to the AP level computer science. And then afterwards. Yeah, so they have several different AP classes in the upper school. Um, most of our students will go on and either in the next year or the year after that, they'll take AP computer science principles, which is maybe only about 25 or 30% coding. And it's more about the broader field of computer science and, and technology. From there, they can opt to take a computer science A, AP test, and then the computer science B. And then one of the really cool things that we have after they finish their AP classes, so if you're following along at home, I guess that means that they're in, going into their junior or senior year, depending on how much they've loaded up on computer science. We have a post-AP capstone course where they can explore either data structures and algorithms or artificial intelligence, machine learning. In the upper school, two of our students have actually created a machine learning club. So they are using the machine learning club to further their own understanding of AI and machine learning, but they're getting into some pretty cool stuff with like TensorFlow and clustered computing and everything. So it's pretty much there as far as they want to take it. Yeah, and that's a ninth grader, a ninth grader who started, he's been working with FAU, which is Florida Atlantic University, and they've got a really big data science. And so it, pretty much if, if the kids have a passion for it, I think our school tries to help them okay. utilize that and like I said, so we're a PK-12, so our kids all stay on, on the campus. And um, that was one of the kids who stopped. <laughs> so it's like he wants to go, they want to go further, they want to go in data science, that's what they do. So we allow that. Our attitude is really, and I think this this works for your daughter too, with like the blinds and everything I was going to say earlier, our goal is to always try to say yes, right? So like... I want to do machine learning and artificial intelligence. Okay, let me find ways to say yes to that. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to make my own Alexa skill. Okay, let's say let's figure out what it would take to do that. So our attitude is always more towards how can we make this happen? How can we encourage this? How can we develop it? And that's where we see our students really thrive and grow is when they're given the opportunity and the support to go pursue one of those crazy wild ideas that they have. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll be really... Uh looking forward to following you along on the podcast and following along with how these are going and, and touching base with you like, you know, six months down the road and another year down the road and see where you're at and see if, if things have changed. It's pretty exciting. I mean, these kids, when they even when they're leaving your class, I'm sure they've got a comparable level of programming than I had when I left college and then through high school. And it's just, it's a pretty, it's pretty cool. So it's exciting to think about what these kids are going to end up doing when they're in their 20s and 30s, um, building all sorts of companies that we can't even think about. It's scary just for me thinking what they're going to do next year when our new, our, our fifth graders come up. They learn faster than me, so I'm constantly getting up and trying to get ahead of them. But what took me a year is taking them nine weeks. So that's just something to always thinking about. These kids are getting quicker at learning it. I had a couple more questions I wanted to make sure I asked. So they're starting learning bits of it, even starting in kindergarten. What happens with like a kid that comes in halfway through or midway through, they transfer in and they don't have any of that background information? Is that is that hard for them to jump in? It's funny you say that because I had two kids that came into my seventh grade course this year who came from a Montessori and who had never had a computer. And it was their first year, first quarter with me. And I was like, control, copy, copy and paste. Why aren't you copying and pasting? And he's like, I had a tablet, an iPad. I don't know how to copy and paste. So the kids actually picked it up really quick. 
It will be interesting to see what happens as we progress in the years, but I think they just, they're pretty durable, these kids. So they kind of just go with the flow and they find ways to excel. Okay. I think you'll find that with pretty much kids across the world, they'll find a way. Is there like a competitive aspect to it or are they pretty collaborative with each other? I would say highly collaborative until we're doing like a quiz in the class and they're trying to compete to see who can get the answer first. Then it might get a little out of hand at times. <laughs> But it's always food involved when that happens. I always bring up the ante, even for a banana today. <laughs> so they get, they do get a little bit competitive when there's something like that involved. But most of the time, they're helpful. Yeah, okay. The other thing I would add to it is that this is kind of their testing ground for how to collaborate. So they're learning how to choose a good team member, how to work with team members that are different than you. I usually remind most of my students before they embark on a team challenge not to pick their best friend because your best friend may be your best friend and there's a good reason why you like that person and you want to spend time with them, but you may not actually work well together. So how do you pick a good teammate? And usually they go back and they pick their best friend and they struggle through it and then they come back and they say, oh yeah, I should have picked someone else. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, but they learn from that. They pick that up. This is all new to them. They're growing and absorbing so much information that's why middle school is some of the best years to teach because I'm seeing already even my first year of teaching so much growth and change even over the last four or five months that once students get older into high school or even in college, they're just not changing as quickly. So this is a really interesting time where kids are just doing so much and they have so much going on. It's really a fascinating process to watch. Yeah, I think they're like little sponges in middle school. You'll see next year with your daughter. Well, my older one is in college now, so been through it once already. (laughs) So for everybody wanting to follow along, you guys are at teachingpython.fm. Is that right? Correct. Okay. That's right. And we're on most of the major podcast networks. If you're not finding us on your podcaster of choice, definitely send us an email. We want to be as available and as convenient as possible. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for uh, joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. It was fun. Thanks, Brian. Thanks again to PyCharm for sponsoring the show. Get an extended four months to play with PyCharm Pro at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 67. The show notes also have links to Sean and Kelly's info, as well as their podcast, Teaching Python. Thank you to Patreon supporters. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you, everyone else, for listening and for spreading the word about this show. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.